Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you so much, JJ, for that introduction again this morning. I want to thank all my listeners from around the world. This is getting more and more exciting every week as more countries, more cities are added to our listening audience. There are people out in the entire world that need the message of hope that have gone through incredible circumstances, whether they be physical or emotional, mental, financial, abusive, in so many areas. And we just, they tell their stories and people relate with them. And it's not because it's where the story ended. It's because they were able to soar above the circumstances and then give that same message of hope to so many people who may feel like they're going through the same thing and they feel hopeless. So that is exciting. And I thank you for um, the listeners for giving reviews and comments because it always helps make the show a success. And again, thank you. With me today is Glenda Thomas. Glenda, together with her husband, she is a relationship and marriage coach who had brain aneurysm surgery in just last year, May of 2015. She authored a book which is entitled The Next Chapter, Glenda's Brain Aneurysm Journey. And in that book, she shares her experience. She also authored a few other books, including The Change, Insights into Self-Empowerment. And we're going to talk about this today as well as her first book. Now, the thing that's so interesting about this, I was reading um, the facts that Glenda sent me regarding brain aneurysms. And I think that this is a subject that very few of us know much about. And we need to bring awareness as Glenda is going to share that with us today. One, These are a couple of the facts that she said. It is estimated that one in 50 people have an unruptured brain aneurysm. Yet there is a brain aneurysm rupturing every 18 minutes. That is just incredibly difficult to believe. And in 40% of the cases, they are fatal. So it's not something to bring fear, but it's something that we may need to be made aware of. And this is the person that is going to help us understand this today. Hi, Glenda. 
Hello, Carol. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, the first thing I want to ask you is, what did you know about brain aneurysms before you were diagnosed? Well, one of my sisters in 2009, she's 11 months younger than I, um, she had an aneurysm, but hers ruptured in 2009. And uh, it was a very close call, and she had surgery, and it was at the base of her brain in the back. So that was my first direct comprehension of what it was, um, but exactly what was going on like before and how it could come to be, I didn't know about that. So what did you learn since then that? Since then, I've learned that um, an aneurysm can actually happen not only in the brain, but a friend of mine had his like in his pelvic area. And it's just a, like if you have a sudden increase uh, in blood pressure, suddenly you can get a little, like a little bubble that pops out of your vein. Mm. And so if it doesn't go back in, and it stays there, it becomes an aneurysm. And it's small, but it can grow. And um, apparently mine had been there a while and grew. But when they did an angiogram, which is the pre-surgery test they do to make sure what size it is and uh-huh. where it is, um, they thought it was estimated four uh, milligrams or whatever. But it was actually bigger, and it was between two veins on my right side of my head which is a very dangerous place to be uh, because if it had ruptured, they would not have been able to get to it in time. Now, did you find this out after the surgery or before? Yes, after. Okay. So tell us about uh, what you were going through when they first had made this discovery. Well, one day I was uh, uh, talking to my husband on the phone and I, I was having a numbness in my right arm and a little bit on the rest of my right side. And I called, I told him I had to get off the phone and call 911. And I've had TIAs, which are what they call mini strokes on the left side. I've never recall having anything on the right side. So I made sure that I went to the hospital. So they took me to the nearest one. And so what happened, that was Valentine's weekend. And the doctor who was on call there, he was very thorough. He had them doing very, lots of tests. And he did a CAT scan, but then he ultimately told them to do a CAT scan with dye or ink or whatever uh-huh, they call uh-huh. it. And so you kind of feel this warm stuff going through your body while they're X, X-raying you. And so, um, you know, I wasn't having... Everybody asked me, well, did you have headaches? I didn't really have headaches. I mean, I, I had some pains in my head, like sometimes sudden pains, but it just never struck me as that possibly could be anything mm-hmm. serious. And so, um, so I had my orders after that ER experience to see my doctor. So I saw my doctor and she sent me to the neurosurgeon department, but on my papers, they were telling me that I was going to have EKG. And I kept thinking, why am I coming up here for EKG? It doesn't make sense. And I kept telling my husband, why they give me an appointment with the neurosurgeon? I don't understand. Hmm. So, so we got there, and they were saying the doctor that did the angiogram said that you can either coil it or you can, um, it's another, t- clip it. Clipping is what mm-hmm, I did. Mm-hmm. You have to go in, and the coiling is less invasive. And so they called him on the phone to verify that that was his answer. 
because my understanding was it wasn't anything I had to do. I just had to watch it. That's what he said after the test was over. So I was really confused. And my husband was with me. And we were like looking at each other like, coil or this or that. What are you talking about? Uh-huh. And so the doctor started touching my head and said, okay, we're going to cut it here. And we're going to have a, you know, pull out this plug here. And we're going to do this, that. I was just like, oh, my goodness. What in the world? So uh-huh. when he got through talking, I said, excuse me. But I wasn't expecting to have this conversation. I'm not understanding you know, the doctor said I just had to watch it. And so mm. apparently it was a team of people who made the decision, not just that one doctor who did the test. But from their observation, his assistant and from the doc, the, the actual neurologist, their, um, their determination was it, something needed to be done. And so my husband said, well, what if she doesn't do it? And he says, well... The, the chances are the same either way. Really? So when he said that, I said, well, I need to, I'm going to do it then. I'm going to have a surgery. And so that was, as they say, quote unquote, no brainer. <laughs> 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 but um, I said, oh my goodness. I was just, we were both stunned, but we were just, I wasn't feeling scared. I was just like, how could, how could this be so change just that fast and so I was like now I'm in this situation and then I started just reflecting on you know how people say your life flashes before you yes and um we they had told me it was going to be like a few days to surgery but the surgeon couldn't do it they ended up changing it and I had two weeks for my life to flash before me and I started just thinking about reflecting on so many things that were crucial in my life and growth as a person that's going to help me in the situation I'm in, I found myself in. And so I just started thinking on how the different times where I was having difficulty really believing God, believing, I believe he existed, but believing, you know, in that him he could help you yes. for me mm-hmm. and, that he loved me, that he was going to provide for me. And we, I, I, I say, I call it a rocky relationship. <laughs> and I say, that's not because of him, but it was because of me. I just, I would believe sometime and, you know, and other times, you know, cause we went through a lot of different stuff, but it's just, it's just developmental. And he loved me enough to allow me time to see he was there every time. Where was he? He was right there. Um, did it look like a, how I expected my next day to look? No, I got a diagnosis and told I had to have this very tenuous surgery. So I said, all those things he brought me through, and I was 59 at the time. And I looked back and I said, all these things that I've been through, I see now it brought me to this moment. I know that he is with me. I know that he's going to provide for me. What I meant by that was if I were to make it and everything was okay, that would be wonderful. I would praise him for that. If I was handicapped, cause they, they told me that was possible, you mm. know, doing surgery stuff can happen, um, that he would provide what I needed. And if I went to be with him, then that was his decision and what better place to be. And I really was at peace 
with him providing whatever it was. And I said, I, I want you to know my desire is to stay here and do finish out my purpose. That was clear what I wanted. And so my husband and I, we actually talked. We had I just had like maybe two sentences about if if I were not to make it that I wanted him to ultimately remarry. We had never had that conversation <laughs> before. <laughs> we had never had that conversation. Um, I've always, I've just always avoided it, mm-hmm. but I have believed that's what I wanted him to do because he's a very uh, social person and I want him to do what, what would make him happy and that would make him happy. And so we didn't linger on it and just said it. And then we just start talking about other things. But the things that concerned me the most was telling my children and um, and my siblings. Um, and uh, so we had a conference call with my siblings. They live in different places in the country. And every my husband, I asked him to, to lead the conversation and they could ask any questions they wanted. Um, everybody was, you know, very cooperative. They were concerned, but nobody was like, you know, breaking down or anything, which I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, I had, um, it went really well and, uh, I just felt super supported. There are nine of us in the family, but at that time, three, two had passed away. And during my recuperation, my eldest sister passed away. Wow. And, uh, she had her, she had lung cancer. But she and she was 70, but she really had come a long way in her life and was living happy. And I went I was able to see her two weeks before I got my diagnosis. I was in California visiting her. And I spent a week with her. And so I was like, Lord, even the time in which she passed away, I was healed enough to where if I cried or was emotional, I wouldn't be feeling these uh, sensations in my Uh head. Because in my head, if I like felt upset, I had to stay calm. Oh, uh, okay. I would have these sensations in my head. And um, I guess it's probably blood rushing around. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but but I even looked at that as caring and nurturing that I received during that time. Because the timing was late enough to where I could I could grieve without harming myself. Because... You know, I had just seen her, but I looked at it as a gratitude situation. Right, right. Because I was able to go be with her. We walked by the bay with her son, and we talked about things. And she told me how happy I made her being there. Uh, it was very uplifting to her. Um, and to you. And and we laughed, because she's just the funniest person in the family. <laughs> so we had some good laughs, and I got some video of us walking so I'm very grateful, and I'm grateful that the doctor was so thorough in the ER, and people were saying, well, how are you doing? How? I said, I am grateful. That's all I have. That's all I have, because that's all I have. Let's back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, is our brain aneurysms hereditary? Let me tell you, it's an interesting question, because... <clears throat> My uh, my sister told you had one. Linda had one in two thousand nine. Right. And this last within the last two months, my youngest sister Bernita had a brain tumor. 
removed. I have never heard of three people in a family having brain surgery. And nobody else in our family has had brain surgery. So there's there's no stats and though that show that I I don't know because I don't know how often it happens. Mm-hmm. And since since my sister just had this within the last couple of months, it's started making me wonder. And so what happened is she was wondering when the two of us had aneurysms, um, what was going on possibly with her. So she went to the doctor, and that's how they found <laughs> it because she went to the doctor. And how did they find it? Is it through an MRI, a scan, a CT scan? scan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what do the doctors say as far as possibly cause and prevention? One of the things is if you have blood pressure, high blood pressure, and maybe you could have had it a while before you actually were diagnosed or even knew you had it because, you know, sometimes you don't realize you have it. Well, during the period before you were diagnosed, you could have had a spike in your blood pressure and not know it. Mm -hmm. And that thing could have puffed out and be there and you don't know it and if it's small like one centimeter to something like that three um they're gonna watch it not gonna necessarily give you surgery just because Mm -hmm. you have one Mm -hmm. but you can it can be seen on a it's it's called a it's an mri with the with the with the um ink or whatever you call i can never remember what that is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, but anyway, that one is more precise even than the CT. CT can let you know there's something, but the MRI with that is has it has an additional name. Um, and when when you do that one, then it becomes more precise. Then ultimately, if they want to see exactly where it is, what it's made of, and all that, is when they did the angiogram. Now, the angiogram, I was awake. Really, and they put these like it wasn't really like needles but i guess it was because it was so small but they put it in your veins it's so small it can be in your veins and then it wiggles and it's very flexible and it was they put it in my groin uh area where there's um a big vein Uh and ran it up my right side and ran it all the way up my neck i don't know how they do this stuff but they ran it up They ran it all the way up there so that they could be in the vein and look at the surrounding area and get very clear on what they have to deal with. And I was awake while they're doing this. Now, has your blood pressure changed since then? Like, are you more aware of it? Is this something that has brought this change in your life here or no? Or is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's made a difference because, um, if I, uh, like if I'm around too much negativity or um, get upset about something, uh-huh. I don't have to like verbally say anything. If I just feel upset, <laughs> like I can feel, you know, I feel differently. So I know that I have to, you know, breathe. Breathing helps. I don't. I don't need to take any medication for that at that time. I, I'm already on a schedule. I just need. I breathe usually, and let. If it's someone I'm talking to, I let them know. Um, I was in a conversation one time and I was on the phone. I told them I couldn't hear what they were talking about because it was getting me upset. And and that was, you know, that changes how I feel. It kind of drains me, makes me tired. So um, I I am more, I'm very protective of 
my environment. My husband is too, very protective of, uh, you know, whatever it is I have to deal with. Because sometimes if I have to call bill collectors sometime and, um, and if people are kind of hard to deal with or we have some kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stress if I related. Can, yeah, if I can handle it, uh, I will. But if not, he'll say, I'll, I'll handle it when I get home. But you brought up an interesting point as far as negativity and mm-hmm. and versus gratitude because mm-hmm. we choose where we live. Yes. We yes. can choose to live in a negative state and that mm-hmm. environment, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. or we mm-hmm. can choose to live in a state of gratefulness. Now, yes. I am a firm believer that you do not put your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. You know, realism tells us that yes. we come into negative situations, but mm-hmm. it's our reaction and our responses to those situations Mm -hmm. and what has brought into your awareness your new world that you are now living in is that you are becoming more aware of this because it's to protect yourself yeah but that brings up an incredible point and that is we should all be more aware of that to protect ourselves and not only to shy away from the negativity but to find a way to respond to it Mm -hmm. that is a positive instead of you know flying off the handle or getting angry or allowing it to um you know to con uh, totally control our thought Mm -hmm. life etc so Mm -hmm. you brought up a physical thing Mm-hmm. That is actually, you know, an emotional, mental thing yes. that we yes. we should be living in. So I appreciate that. And I thank you for bringing that clarity. So how did this, besides this point, how mm-hmm. did this change you as a person? Now, you did mention, first and foremost, that your belief system in your heavenly father mm-hmm. changed in that you no longer realize that he was just an entity but that he was part and parcel to your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And of course you brought up your your positive environment. Is there anything else that you felt changed in you as an individual? One thing that has changed is um, sometimes I would think about maybe doing something, but I wouldn't necessarily do it. And so um, before all this happened, I actually the, the book, The Change, was first and the the end of the chapter asked the question, what's next? And that's why I named the book the next chapter. Mm, that I see. Of, okay. Yes. But anyway, during that period of writing the, the change and connecting, and I went to a training, and our lead, one of our leaders, Jim Lutz, who is an international marketer and entrepreneur, he told us something so simple. Do something you've never done before. And when I came out, and started getting to where I was, um, you know, more clear, able to stay awake more than a minute or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I start thinking about, well, what am I going to do? That's different. I've never done before. And as a speaker, uh, I usually uh, wait for the situation to come to me because that's just how it seems like things are done. As far as I could see, it's like, well, you know, uh, somebody refer me or someone heard I spoke somewhere else and mm-hmm. they want, or they know me or something like that. And so I said, well, I've never done that before, but I, I have <laughs> desired to want to speak. And one of the places that I wanted to speak and share my story 
is Pepperdine University. Now, these people don't know me. You know, there's probably one or two people that work there that know me, but mm-hmm. overall, they don't know who I am. And I wrote to um, the gentleman who's in charge of the Bible lectures. This is an international conference where thousands of people come from all over the world, literally, mm-hmm. to this event, May 6th, which is the uh, May 3rd through 6th uh, this year. So I wrote a letter and I outlined three reasons I wanted to speak and why I wanted to share what happened to me. And I got invited to speak. Oh my goodness. How exciting. And I'm so excited. Everything right now is just geared toward that. And it's just, I don't, you know, and I'm fully set on whoever, this is how I look at it. Whoever shows up is who's supposed to be there. And what are you going to be speaking on? You're sharing your story. Yes. uh, Glenda's brain aneurysm journey in the light of the Jesus story, the lectureship, the lectureship, the Bible lectures are focused on um, are different topics in the light of the Jesus story. And mine is accepting um, his healing power and his true love for me through all those things that I went through before, believing, not believing, believing, up mm-hmm. and down, up and down, and just Really, he empowered me to receive his true relationship because you just go for you go trying to learn and you you want to get it and you wonder sometimes am I ever gonna grow? <laughs> graduate ever gonna faith am I ever gonna <laughs> you know and sometimes other things things other things life just happens and it's like does it have to be this awful but you know I've learned to look at things now truly that are that I perhaps was looking before as failure, quote unquote, truly, truly is in my heart now that they were lessons. That's how I define those. It's not failure. It was a lesson. Because what happens when you say stuff is a failure, oh, well, you know, I tried to do that business, but it failed. I failed. Well, then what you're doing is painting yourself into a corner to be so discouraged you don't want to try again because you might fail again. But if if you turn it around and say, well, that was a lesson not to do something that maybe is not, I really not really love that much. I'm discovering what I love. Where's my destiny? What's my purpose? What's my passion? I don't know what it is. So I'm just learning along the way. Awesome. So then I'm willing to take another step, talk to another person and see what lesson I learned from that. And that is what most of the successful people will tell you. It's that failure is just a stepping stone. Yes. You know, it is, like you said, it is a lesson. And, and then you, you couple that with gratitude, you know, for what you believe to be a failure. I mean, it just, it makes it, your eyes open that much wider. Yes. So tell us about your online course. My online course, I think the one I put on there was living out your personal values. I believe that's the one I put on there. If it's not, it's a, it's another one about um, re um, harmonizing your life. Those are two. Okay. But harmonizing your life be, is really built upon my life story of how I started to grow. That's in the change book. And each one of the things that I went through first, it began with a uh, physical ailment, um, I, I I was having um, um, like 
panic attacks. I was uh-huh. um, feeling sick, thought I was dying. And for years, I didn't have a clue what was going on until um, I, I finally did go. I was looking at television, actually, is how I found out what the name of it was, that there were other people out there suffering, having panic attacks and anxiety. And so my body was trying to get my attention. That was only the beginning of my growth. My body was saying, wake up, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. You need to pay attention here to something. And uh, one time we moved to Denver in 1979 and I got, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just shaking, shaking. I couldn't stop. I had no idea what was going on. So I wake my husband up and he told me, got to take me to the hospital. And the bottom line of it, cut to the chase, um, I was stuffing my feelings because we had just moved there. I didn't know people there, and I had left people that I loved and being near to the state where my family was. We had lived in Washington, and they were in California. Uh-huh. So, you know, they could come up a lot quicker and be nearby. At least, you know, mentally I felt closer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so there, Denver, Colorado, this big you know, it was gorgeous looking at the Rocky Mountains, but I didn't know anyone. So it was just, um, I, but I kept saying to myself, I don't have time for crying. I got to take care of my kids because they were three three children young, weren't even in school yet, and we're at a new church. And um, my husband was getting right into that, you know, f- finding his way in what what this new place was all about. And so stuffing my feelings down caused me to have a physical uh, reaction, which which once I talked to the doctors, they explained to me that that's what caused me, my body to get those shakes because I was stuffing my feelings. And he said, if you need to cry, cry. And he told my husband, if you guys are out or you're doing anything and she just suddenly feels like crying, just be supportive. Because she needs to get that out of her system. And that was my first real life experience of that connection between mind and body. And after that, once I start going through those panic attacks, uh, those years after we moved to a different place, then I, I discovered that going in therapy. And then after that, 12 Steps for Christians, the spiritual awakening, mind, body, spirit. It's all connected. I was going to church and I believe God existed. I love people to the best of what I thought. I love people. But I was not, I was not living a, a connected, harmonized life. So when I, when I work with people, I help them through mind, body, and spirit. So that once we're done, we've covered all areas as rebuilding that foundation in their life so that they can go forward. There's other things to grow in, but that's, I have found that to be a great beginning. And the people that I work with, I've seen such dramatic changes. It's just so amazing because they begin to connect the mind, body, and spirit through the processes that I use to help them. And I work with them. I work over the phone. I work in person as well. But when they are able to really connect those things and live more holistically and they'll be able to make better decisions based on something that's sustainable that helps them to grow and move forward. So let's say, for example, 
if they they have discovered what their passion is, their dream, and maybe there's someone who disagrees with it, who's very important in their life, mm-hmm. and they kind of start thinking, oh, I don't want to, I'm just not going to do that. But what happens then is that in your spirit is pushing you because that's your destiny. It's in there. And it's still going to keep pushing you, but you're going to be thinking, no, not because... Then, then what do you have? You have that inner war going back and forth. But when you're living in your purpose and you're able to say, okay, to the person or within yourself, people may not understand, they may not agree, but this is who I am. I'm showing up in the world to, to give the gift that I have to give. This is, this is, what I, this is me. This is truly mm-hmm. me. That's when you're able to walk in life in gratitude and in purpose and instead of fear. And it's, it's just a harmonious way to live. I don't have things, everything, thing that I want. That's not what it is. It's the, it's the inner peace of being able to walk into the world, face different situations, just being you and that being enough and wonderful. But you can call it whatever you call it because it's it's, our, it's my story. I can call it a horrible story. That's can, right. Or I can call it it wonderful. And for me, it's wonderful because I've learned so much through the things I've gone through. And I'm steady learning. I tell people all the time, I'm still having first. <laughs> That's a good point. You're still having first. Yes. It's a good way to look at it. Yes. And so many people live in fear and they, yeah. they're almost comfortable in it because it's all they know. Mm-hmm. And so through your courses um, online, this is one of the things that you can teach them. Yeah. You have more than one course? Yes, I have one living out your living out your personal values. And uh, the other one is harmonizing your life. And Harmonizing Your Life is the one uh, dealing with body, mind, spirit. Each of them have about 10 modules. Okay. Um, you have, And the, the person is really involved, the client, the student, is really involved. And um, I do meet with them, you know, to, to talk about specific things that they're, uh, that they, whatever it is they want to discuss. And if they need help getting clarity on some of the concepts or something. But... Um, yeah, these these courses, and you can take them. You always will have access to them. So once you pay for it, you you can always go back okay. in there. If you go through it, you can go through it again. And obviously, that's something that people would would like to do. Like it's to refresh themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. All right. Now, tell us about your upcoming book. Yes, I'm so excited about this book. What's the name of it? Overcome the impossible. How to Scale the Mountains in Your Life. And this book is encouraging, and I'm inviting people to overcome the impossible. I mean, and, and, what, and what's so funny about impossible is that you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as how it's defined in the dictionary, or you can look at, look at the word itself. I'm possible. Isn't that something? Yes, that is a wonderful way to look at that it. That is so awesome. Mm-hmm. So you can just, you can, and because why is something impossible? I wanted to go back to school, but I had a bill um, uh, that was still outstanding at the previous college I had gone to. I had a person who I knew was telling me the truth, 
if you need anything at all, just let me know. For a good year, maybe a year and a half after I knew this person, I kept saying, I, I, just, I was just thinking of every reason why I couldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's impossible. I just can't do this. It's not me. Well, you know what? If I didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done because that was my life. Mm. And I said, if I miss out my opportunity to go to UC Berkeley, I will just regret that. And I try my best to not li- to not do things that will cause me long-term regret. So I finally, all I had to do was pick up that phone, dial <laughs> seven numbers, give a, give a short uh, presentation of what my issue was. And let me tell you what that person did. They went and got a cashier's check for $1,500. <laughs> got, brought it right over to the house to me and, and signed it over. To, they wrote, you know, I told them to write it to the school because I didn't need it for me personally. And I sent it overnight and my bill was paid. And I was able to get my transcript that and amazing. move forward. Yes. But all that time I was waiting, it was just that mental shift to say, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. I, you know, UC Berkeley's right in front of me. I'm ready to go. I was trained in high school to get ready for this. All that stuff I was doing was preparing me. I can't do it. No. The only way something is impossible is if somebody told you that and you believe it or right. you think it is. Right. <laughs> that's right. And so it just, I finally I just said, Okay, what what am I going to regret more, doing it or not doing it? Okay, Glenda, pick that phone up and make that call. Now, what is your call to action for anybody listening? My call to action today is I would love it if you could would visit my uh, website, uh, glendathomas.wordpress.com. And the first thing you'll see is um, you can download a a free book. And all you have to do is give me your name and email, and then there'll be a link there. You just click on it, and there it is. You can download it. And my chapter is the last one in that book, and it's called Contemplating Change. Contemplating Change. So this is a um, an anthology? Is Yes, yes. Okay. There are 19 other writers in there besides okay. myself. Okay. And and it's just and it shares a lot of different worldviews because people from some of these writers from different parts of the world and all of us have our own unique journey, which is so mm-hmm. awesome with the book. I've got a chance to build a community with these people. And now we have ten books. This is book three. We have ten books that we finished now. Oh my god. And so that's there's two hundred new people, I mean one hundred and ninety nine new people that I have to work with and uh partner with and um, if I have questions about so many different kind of specialists. And in this book, I met some of these people in California and our training, such, such an awesome opportunity. And um, so if anybody wants to be in the book, they can just um, email me. It's on the website. They can okay. just okay. email me if they want to be in a book that we're going to go. Is, we're going to keep going. They're not going to stop with 10. They're going to keep going. That's but, amazing. Um, but yeah, the call to action today is just visit me. And look around my website, do, look at the book, and also see the other books I've done. Um, I did, um, it's, it's a the gratitude journal. I did several of those, but the one okay. I like most 
is the gratitude journal with the artwork that I did. That was a part of my healing. Um, is doing the artwork is is inspired by Zentangle. Oh, okay. that's a whole yes. that's a whole nother story right there. Zentangle so awesome. And then coloring that's a whole nother thing too. When you color, uh, it's like going back to your childhood and just relaxing and you just focus on that even men are doing it now yes there's many adult coloring books out yes. there. yes and so it's so it's so fulfilling and you just shut out everything else and you just focus on that and it's beautiful when you're done and what i love about zentangles that there are no mistakes that's one of their foundational <laughs> things is because if you make a mark and wasn't what you intended just turn it into another shape and keep on going <laughs> There's Yes, there's a real life lesson in that, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Glenda. This has been definitely enlightening and inspiring today and motivating. So we've covered all the bases. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Carol, for uh, just inviting me. And I just, I enjoy telling my story. And think of me on May 6th. That's going to be the anniversary yes. of my surgery Okay. And um, at 8.30 in the morning at Pepperdine, I will be uh, doing fulfilling one of my dreams of sharing my story with as many people as I, as I can. And, um, and just being in Malibu is awesome itself. <laughs> well, all of this will be in your show notes. Yeah. And oh, so great. anybody awesome. can, you know, they can link up with you and uh, mm-hmm. connect with you and, and everything will be there, including the interview and your books. And awesome. so it'll awesome. all be there and they'll be able to, um, yes, connect with you. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. what this is all about, right? That's right. To, that's to engage right. with one another and mm-hmm. share experiences and see where it takes us. Yes. So again, thank you, Glenda. And, and again, thank you. Thank and, you, everybody, for listening and all those who uh, listen to the replay. Just in your life, just know that everything is for a reason. And turn those things that you've been thinking of as failures into lessons and see how much you'll learn. And you'll just move forward in life from those lessons. And on that, we'll close. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.